Friends, let's pray. Father, we want to see Jesus this morning. In your name, amen. So, a number of years ago, a friend of mine named Kip Yeager was turning 30 years old. And his wife, whose name was Kathleen, wanted to throw him a surprise birthday party. But she wanted to do it in such a way that, that he would never expect. Because, you know, sometimes on your birthday, if something's weird, you kind of expect something's up. So she wanted to do it, not on his birthday, but about, like, four months early. <laughs> and so, so you picture the scene. There, uh, we all gather on the night of his party, uh, a bunch of us in a room. There was probably, what, 50 people in this little tiny house. And I think Kip thought he was coming over to his friend's house for dinner or something like that. But anyways, we're all huddled in, lights are off and everything. He walks in the door and we do, you know, the the thing you do at surprise birthday parties. We all jumped up and yelled, surprise! Which is usually fun and everybody kind of laughs. Well, Kip didn't laugh. In fact, he said afterwards, he said he kind of went into a state of shock and he said... About a couple more seconds, I was about to start swinging because all I could see was a large group of people coming at me. I didn't know what was going on. Well, Kathleen, being the being the, the perceptive one, she literally grabs him by the face, looks him in the eye, and says, "Kip, this party is for you. These are your friends. Happy birthday." <laughs> And he kind of was able to settle down and actually then enjoy the evening. Well, there was another birthday party that that happened about 2,000 years ago. As scripture tells us, there was a group of disciples sitting in a room together. And we don't know exactly how many, but all of a sudden something unexpected happens. As we just read a minute ago, it said, Suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a violent rushing wind. And it had filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues of fire, distributing themselves and resting on each one. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. And so, obviously for some, as it goes on to say, that it caused a lot of confusion and bewilderment. And as the story goes on, Peter, being the perceptive one, literally stands up in front... stands up in the midst of the crowd, I think kind of metaphorically grabbing everybody by the face and explaining what's going on. And once he gave his sermon, everybody was able to begin to make sense of it all. And so today, we are celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. It's one of our high holidays in the Christian year. It's the the day that we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his disciples, which effectively creates the church. It's why we do say that Pentecost is the birthday of the church, if you will. Now, Pentecost was originally a Jewish festival holiday. It appears in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it's uh, it's called the 50th day, is is how that's translated. Um, And it's, it's basically the time when you would go out and you would reap the first fruits of a coming harvest. And then you would gather up all the the reaped portion of that harvest and offer it up to God in thanksgiving for for the, the rest of the coming harvest. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church during this harvest celebration, which also happens to be 50 days after Christ's resurrection. It's 10 days after Christ ascended and promised his disciples that his disciples would soon receive the Holy Spirit. 
giving them power to be witnesses, to preach the gospel, uh, starting in Jerusalem and moving out to the ends of the earth so that all nations, tribes, and tongues, and people would be gathered in. So do you, do you see that connection there? That instead of harvesting wheat on this particular Pentecost, they would now be laborers in the harvest of God's kingdom. God does not do anything by accident. Now, he does do things sometimes in surprising ways. God is a God of surprises. And so as I look at this text in, in Acts chapter 2, and uh, there's certainly a lot here that we could talk about this morning, but all I simply want to emphasize with our time together is this truth about God, that God is a God who likes to surprise us. You see, I'm convinced that as we move, in, move into our summertime and we start planning for all the things we've got going on in the near future, that we need to be reminded of this truth, both for our individual walks of faith and for the life of our church, that God is a God who loves to surprise us. And I think we need to ask this morning, are we willing to be surprised by the Spirit? Are we willing to be surprised by the Spirit? So what is a surprise, really? Right? At the most basic level, it's something that happens unexpectedly. It comes out of nowhere. Uh, we expect one thing to happen, and then something else happens. So it's an unexpected event. But at a much deeper level, a surprise is something that really is very disruptive, if you think about it. Because it, it disrupts and it interrupts the normal course of events that we have carefully planned out and in the ways, and it causes us to, to regroup and it causes us to reevaluate and even to recalibrate our lives according to this new set of circumstances or this new reality now that we're faced with. And so you might think that you're going over to a friend's house for dinner only to end up celebrating your birthday four months early. Or maybe you find out that you are expecting a child. Or you find out that you get an unexpected promotion. Or the flip side of that, you unexpectedly, you unexpectedly find out you lose your job. Or you get that call from the doctor that says, hey, we found something on your x-ray that, that we're kind of concerned about. Whatever it is, there's myriad examples. But surprises can be big or small, wanted, unwanted, good or bad. Nonetheless, they're always unexpected. They always interrupt and disrupt the flow of things. And they always cause us to recalibrate our lives according to this new reality. So like I said, God is a God of surprises. All throughout Scripture, God is doing things in surprising ways, in ways that we would never expect, in ways that we would never imagine. And they've always caused humanity to reevaluate and recalibrate their ways of living according to it. So th think about this. God creates humanity out of dirt. Not because he needs to, but because he loves to. When humanity then falls away, instead of just letting humanity die, he begins this process that centers uh, uh, this process of salvation that centers around this tiny, insignificant group of people called Israel, whom he calls to be the light of the nations, through whom all people would come to worship this one true God. Even then, in their disobedience, he still continues to fulfill his plan through this man, Jesus, who was their promised Messiah. But Jesus, as we know, was not just any man. He was God himself, as the creed says, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Moreover, this incarnate God allows himself to be then nailed to a cross 
which is the ultimate act of, of humiliation and defeat. And yet it is that very cross that he uses to open the doorway to salvation that he had been planning all along when Christ resurrected three days later. See, we live in a world in which things like strength and power and violence and wealth are the things that we want to look for for our security and even our victory. And yet, the God of the universe chooses to, over, to, chooses to surprise us and to overcome in, ways, in unexpected ways that have nothing to do with any of those things. 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, Look, we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentile. But to those whom God calls, Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God is a God of surprises. Right before Christ ascended into heaven, his disciples asked him, he said, Lord, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The way that Jesus answers that is this. He says that they would receive power to proclaim the kingdom to the ends of the earth so that all people would know the forgiveness of sins made possible in him. That's the same message that we received by the same power that they received to pass it on to us. So when we look at this, this, chat, this, this uh, passage in Acts chapter 2, there's certainly a lot of things that would surprise us. It's a surprising, dramatic event. But let's remember that this is simply God being who he consistently is, doing what he consistently does. So when we look at this text, there really are some surprising things. And one of the, the most obvious surprising things is the effect that the Holy Spirit had on those whom he filled. Obviously, they begin to speak in tongues. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, it does talk about strange utterances and groanings and those kind of things. But here in Acts, specifically Acts chapter 2, these tongues are very specifically known languages. They're known languages that are spoken throughout the world. As, as, as we heard in the, in, the, in the passage that was read, this event caused a group of people who were already in Jerusalem to come around, and they say in verse 11, We hear them telling in our own tongues, in our own languages, the mighty works of God. So this gift is, they're gifts of specific languages, but don't forget this part, with a very specific message. Specific languages with specific message. You see, one of the things of the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs, one of the things that he always does is he always points to Christ. And so those who are filled with the Spirit are those who begin to proclaim the mighty works of God, as it says, which really are those things that God has done for his people throughout history, culminating in the gospel, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation with God. The Holy Spirit empowers his people not to do great things in general. That's one thing I think we miss sometimes. The Holy Spirit empowers us not to just do, in general, great things, but to proclaim the greatness of God and Christ specifically. Now let me ask this question. Who are those who receive this kind of spirit filling? Here's what I mean. Sometimes we can look at a passage like Acts chapter 2, and... We can look at it with all of its miraculous dramas, and we can see large crowds of people becoming saved. And, we can, and it's easy for us to think, well, that's great, but God would never 
or could never use me or use our church in that way. We think that was something for then, not for, here, not for now. We too often get caught up in thinking that God would never use me because for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not old enough or I'm not young enough or I'm not talented enough or I'm not experienced enough or I don't have the right academic degrees or maybe it's I'm not healthy enough or I'm not, I don't have the, I'm not of the right gender. Or we get caught up in thinking that God won't do great things through us because we don't have our own building. Or we don't have the right programs or the big enough budget. Well, if you hear nothing else in the sermon today, hear this. God's purposes are not restricted by your limitations. God's purposes are not restricted by your limitations. The fact that the disciples didn't even speak those languages, it wasn't a problem for the Spirit. The Spirit gave them the resources they need to accomplish the task that God had called them to. When Peter stands up in the midst of the crowd and gives his great sermon explaining all that's going on, he quotes from the prophet Joel in verses 17 and 18, and he says this. He says, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will see, I'm sorry, your, your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my servants, and they all shall prophesy. Now, prophesy simply means to tell the mighty works of God. That's what that means. To, to, it also means to call to repentance and to warn of coming judgment. And so those who prophesy are those who tell what God has done through Christ in order to redeem the world from sin and death. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man or you're a woman. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're young or old, whether you're healthy, sick, blind, handicapped, or whatever. God's purposes are not restricted by your limitations. But again, this is something that God has always done. This is just God being God. He uses the weak to shame the strong. The, the greatest in the kingdom are the ones who are the servants of all. He used, for example, Moses. Moses had a speech impediment, and Moses became the voice for Israel. David was a, a shepherd and the youngest of all of his brothers, and he became the great king of Israel. Saul was the first and the greatest persecutor of the early church, and God made him to be the one to lead the charge to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so, so for instance, as we go into the summer and we begin planning and we begin discerning for all the things that, that we want to do and all the things that we believe that God is calling our church to do and to be, we want to remember that when God calls us, God also equips us. When God calls, it, he calls us, he also equips us. Now, true, there is the principle in, in Scripture that if we want to build a barn, that we do need to calculate the cost, right? But I want to encourage us not to hold to that principle too legalistically. Because if God wants us to build the barn, metaphorically speaking, God will give us the resources to do it. At the end of the day, it really is an issue of simply us surrendering our control to God. Now, we don't like to be the ones who are not in control, right? We like things planned out. We like things organized. We like things calculated. We like things, we, we do this in such a way so that we can understand it 
and so that we can ultimately control it. However, God doesn't call us to be in control. God calls us to be faithful. The theologian Stanley Hauerwas says that Christians are people who know how to live their lives out of control. Christians are people who live their lives out of control. I love the way he puts that. Because we know that we should let God be totally in control of all things, right? But not being in control sometimes feels weird to us. Sometimes it feels chaotic even. But our call, again, is to trust in God's goodness and God's perfect knowledge to simply follow his leading. Now, sometimes he leads us through the desert. Sometimes he leads us to a land flowing with milk and honey. But it's always God who's leading. Sometimes God's control will surprise us and lead us to places we've never expected. In John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus and he says this. He says that the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is it with everyone born of the Spirit. See, our job is not to control things. Or to even think that we can control the Spirit. Our job is simply to follow. To let the Spirit surprise us and to recalibrate our lives accordingly. Now, I will admit that following the Spirit can be very scary at times. Can at times feel very chaotic. That's because we're the ones who are used to being in control. We're used to thinking that God can't do something or won't do something because of the limitations that I have personally or the limitations that we have as a church. Now, you might be sitting here thinking today, well, my limitation is actually not physical. My limitation is spiritual. What can God do with that? Well, if that's the case, here's the truth for you this morning. It is the job of the Spirit to convict the world of sin and to point to Christ who holds out the offer of forgiveness of sins. And so I guess you could say that God is not even restricted by your sin or your unbelief because God is in the business of forgiving sins and calling sinners to repent and making children out of those who are enemies of God and friends out of strangers. God is in the business of calling you to lay down those things in your life that lead to death in order to grab a hold of the things that lead to life. The eternal life, the abundant life of God. And you do that by letting go of control and trusting Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Whatever it is you think your limitation might be, know that it does not limit God. Because God's purposes are not restricted by your limitations. God is definitely a God of surprises. You know, one of the great symbolisms of Pentecost is that God uses something that was once a curse to become a catalyst for redemption. There was a time when humanity, in all of its pride and all of its sinfulness, believed that it could build a building that reached to the heavens, symbolizing their supposed control over all things. God eventually thwarts that plan and as a consequence, confuses their languages so that in their confusion, confusion, humanity would realize that they, are not, that they are not as in control as they want to believe that they are. 
The pouring out of the Holy Spirit manifested by the gift of tongues is therefore an overturning and a redemption of the event of the Tower of Babel. What was once a curse, the multiplicity of languages, is now a catalyst for the message of redemption to all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. There's also another story in the scriptures where the prophet Ezekiel, he has a vision where he's standing on top of a mountain, he's looking out over a valley, and there are, there are dry bones everywhere. There's just bones everywhere. And then all of a sudden, something starts to happen. The bones start coming together, and ligaments and tendons start forming skeletons, and then flesh starts to cover those skeletons. And then when they are fully formed, God tells Ezekiel to command the wind to come from the four corners of the earth and fill them with the breath of life. God tells Ezekiel that this is what he's going to do to his people who are dead in their sin. He says this. He says, I will, pour, I will pour out my spirit. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. Now in Hebrew, the words wind, breath, and spirit are the exact same words. The ruach, the spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God. It's all the same word. God is a God who brings life out of death. That's why we say in the creed, we call the Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Because not even death limits God. So, on this Pentecost Sunday, knowing that nothing limits the Spirit, back to my original question, are you willing to be surprised by the Spirit? Are you willing to follow where the Spirit leads, even if it's to unexpected places? Are you willing to live a life out of control so that the Spirit can be the one in control? Are you willing to reevaluate and recalibrate your life according to what the Spirit is doing? Are we as a church willing to do the same? Do you want to see the Spirit work in your life? Do you want the Spirit to surprise you? Do you want him to work in unexpected ways in your life, in your marriage, in your church, in whatever it is that you're facing or going through? Do you want to be surprised by the Spirit? That's for us individually and for a church corporately. Now look, i got to be honest, I don't really know what my friend Kip was expecting to do the night of his party. I, don't, I really don't know. In fact, I probably should have called him and told him I was going to use him as a sermon illustration, but I didn't. Anyways, I don't know what he was expecting, but I'm sure he probably could have refused to go out that evening and said, you know, I'm just too tired. Let's just call and just, let's just reschedule. If he would have done that, he would have missed out on a wonderful surprise. I don't know what specifically... I don't know specifically what surprises the Lord has in store for us individually and corporately. But I know this, that it is for His glory, that it is for His kingdom, that it exalts the name of Christ, and that it is something wonderful that we'll get to be a part of if we are willing to follow where the Spirit leads. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.